Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Tot- Tottenham. On the agenda today, we will be discussing Tottenham's search for a new manager, Tottenham's search for a new managing director of football, and we'll also be looking ahead to Saturday's Premier League clash against Brentford, whilst also reflecting on last Saturday's 2-1 defeat away at Aston Villa. Joining me as ever is Alistair Gold. Ali, how are you? I'm all right. I'm just wondering how many things we're currently searching for at Tottenham Hotspur. Director of football, a manager, any sense of direction whatsoever, maybe a new captain, hopefully not a new striker, but who knows. Um, yeah, there's a lot of searching going on at Tottenham Hotspur and, and hopefully uh, they reach their destination soon. Yeah, I think you can add six points from the last two games as well to the list yeah. as the chase European football, but... We'll get into that uh, a bit later on in the podcast. We will start with the search for a new manager. It's almost coming up to two months since Antonio Conte uh, departed the club. Are we a 51 of... days? I think someone said 50. Something, Something like that, like that now. Yeah, a number of names have been linked with the job. Uh, Julian Nagelsmann was one of those, but now we know he won't be becoming the next manager of Tottenham Hotspur this summer. Yes, yes. Friday night was an interesting night when news started to emerge from the club. Um, uh, Bizarre timing, you know, just within 24 hours of a massive match they were out to play. Uh, I say massive, relatively massive uh, compared to having dropped out of the top four race, but still big in terms of European football. And yes, news started to emerge from in the club that, uh, yes, Julian Nagelsmann um, was not um, a candidate for them right now and they did not intend to meet him and had not met him, um, which was... An interesting move with a lot of interesting, doing a lot of heavy lifting in that sentence. Um, It's very strange. Look, we know that obviously Spurs have made contact with Nagelsmann's people. That's definitely happened. Um, This very much felt like a sense of, quick, quick, let's shape the narrative. Let's make sure everyone's fully aware of what's happened. And from our point of view, before anything could come out of Germany, perhaps. Um, Yeah, look, it's one of those where... They look daft either way, don't they? If they say that they've rejected him, they look daft. If they say that they're not even going to talk to him because they don't see him as a candidate, they look daft. Um, they look kind of unambitious, don't they, if they're rejected by him. It's, uh, it was just, it's just unfortunately just the way Spurs are at the moment. They just keep making these kind of PR decisions that are just really, really wrong. Um, and... Yeah, look, Nagelsmann, we know, ticked a lot of boxes. Look, you could quite easily see reasons for not hiring him. You could. I wouldn't say there's many, but you could. You could possibly look at the whole man management style of things that he got criticised for in Germany. You could look at, is it really the right time with the mess Spurs are in for someone like him to come in? Does it need someone with a little bit more experience? I don't know. But what I would say is there's so many more reasons why he would have been a good fit you know obviously a very young dynamic exciting manager tactically intelligent um ticked the boxes of being a glamour appointment as well as being uh the young up-and-coming kind of project manager they're looking for so yeah it, it was a strange move 
it may well be that, you know, he showed no real interest and they were getting that impression. So they thought, right, well, let's all end this talk now so the fans don't get their hopes up. Um, or it could just be that they felt he wasn't the right fit. I'm sure a lot of Spurs fans will probably start to think towards the former. Um, but ultimately, for me, I think, look, I've made it quite clear from the start. My two candidates that I probably would have liked to have seen were always Nagelsmann and Slot. I like the idea of both of them coming into Tottenham and what they could do. And obviously the romantic side of me would have loved uh, a, a Pochettino re- uh, return just for the kind of the romantic side of it. But the thing that annoyed me probably the most about this was the timing. And it just heaped the pressure I felt on Ryan Mason and his staff to get anything. Because let's be honest, Ryan Mason wants a job. Of course he does. Um, and then just the night before <laughs> he's about to lead them into this big game, suddenly all this stuff and the fans, you know, the fans became even more annoyed at the club, even more, um, I guess, seeing Mason as a, a cheap, unambitious option, which, look, you can argue the, the cheap side. Of course you can. But I would... <sighs> It's difficult. We'll talk about Mason in a bit. I don't want to kind of go into that segue just yet, but I just felt timing-wise it was horrendous um, and it created an atmosphere at the game. You and I were both there. They're just the fans 15 seconds into the match were already chanting for Levy out um, and get out of our club and all of this sort of stuff. It was just, it's mind-blowing. Whoever makes these decisions uh, gives the final say, green light, whatever you want to call it, to letting things emerge from within that club. I just did not understand it. I'm sure we'll get the truth eventually of exactly what happened, but certainly they spoke to his representatives and at some point or another, one of those two decides, uh, two sides has decided it's not right um, and they have no longer going to happen. Although, as some people correctly point out, what if like a new director of football comes in and they absolutely love Nagelsmann. <laughs> what happens then? Do they say, uh, no, we really want him? Oh, no, we can't do that. We've already kind of let it be known that we don't want him. It's such a mess. I mean, what did you think of it all? Uh, I'm with you. It was just a complete mess, and the timing of it was, wasn't was great at all. I think it was a couple of minutes to six o'clock, something like that, uh, when obviously the news emerged. But if obviously Tottenham... I'm believing that. See, they don't. They've never met with Nagelsmann, and they don't intend to. What's that say about them? Then, like you said, it just makes them look daft because he's the leading candidate. Even if he didn't want the job, surely he'd still want to meet with him and try and convince him because he just ticks so many boxes uh, for Tottenham. And yeah, as expected, the news went down like uh, a lead balloon. Uh, because he has been the name linked with the job ever since he left Bayern Munich and Antonio Conte uh, departed uh, Tottenham at the end of March as well. And obviously he was linked with the Chelsea job, but with Chelsea turning to Poch, then you're thinking, yeah, uh, Spurs have got a straight run at Nagelsmann here. But obviously uh, they're looking towards another manager who can help rebuild the club. Uh, as I've said in a number of podcasts before whoever comes in there's no guarantee it's going to be a success and if it was Nagelsmann 
he was to come in, yeah, it might not work out for him, but there's a good chance as well. It might because of the jobs he's done at Hoffenheim, at Leipzig, at Bayern as well. So it's just going to be interesting to see who the turn to now. They've just got to get this decision right just to appease the fans as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's just, it's huge. I mean, we can't stress enough. We say it kind of every week, it feels like. It's, it's just such a big decision because there's so much to be done. And look, I know they're going to share the load because they're obviously going to have a new director of football as well. But it's just so, so much that needs to be done by the new person coming in. And they need to be someone, I guess, that is committed for the long haul. Um, someone that is, I guess very excited to take on the role someone that sees this as yeah a challenge for the long term um look i think nagelsman would have been fantastic but um clearly something else has happened there um and spurs being spurs have like i say tried to get out there ahead of it shape the narrative before it started coming out but the trouble is with spurs i haven't got the trust i think to do that I don't think right now with the feeling from the fans that the fans are going to believe much that comes out of the club right now, and that's the problem. Um, and it doesn't look great. So obviously, like all the journalists, when we were all reporting that that's what the club was coming out of the club, we were getting in the neck as well. It's like, hey, hey, we're just saying what the club is saying. We're not saying that definitely that's, you know, we feel is the case. And then, you know, what I'm saying right now is that I know that they've spoken to his representatives Um you know, Spurs will say technically they're claiming they haven't met with him. Um, so, you know, I guess it's all about words. It's semantics, isn't it? But um, yeah, so that's one name we can knock off the list. Um, well, for now, it's really awkward. I don't want to say for now because people start to get their hopes up. But like I said, in 2021, Nuno was categorically not going to be the next manager. He wasn't on any list. And then Pratici came in and wanted Nuno. So it's like, what can you do? You just can't like, kind of be definitive in anything until they've got that director of football in place. But, you know, if you believe what's coming out of Spurs, that's that. And maybe that's what we find out. Maybe it was because he said no, and then it, I guess it wouldn't matter who comes in. But, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, someone else who's uh, ruled himself out of the job uh, is... Xabi Alonso, he is by Leverkusen manager. He's been at the club, I think, since October after spending a couple of years with Real Sociedad's B team on the eve of their Europa League semi-final clash against Roma. Alonso was asked about his future and he's basically stated that he will be staying at Leverkusen next season. And I think Bild, the German newspaper, also asked him, uh, will he still be at the club, you know, come the end of his contracts? What is next summer? And he's, yeah, he said he will be staying. So that's another name uh, you can cross off the list in terms of the Tottenham manager's job. So with the bookies at the moment, and a slot of Feyenoord is the favourite. Then behind him, Brendan Rodgers, Thomas Frank, Graham Potter, Ryan Mason, uh, Ange Postacoglu as well. Uh, so if you're going to go with the bookies, people are backing and a slot after he's done a fantastic job uh, in Holland with Feyenoord. Yeah, I mean... I'm be honest, and people who've kind of listened to this podcast will know this anyway. I'm not devastated that Alonso has ruled himself out. 
Don't get me wrong, he could end up being a terrific young manager. But right now, I think it would have been a hell of a job for him. And that's, you know, I've, I've said it before as well, that I think I don't see too much difference between him and Mason if you look in experience. Probably talking about another what, 20 matches that Alonso's had. Um, if that, I think maybe 18 matches. Obviously, you could argue uh, his time with the um, the B team at, where was it? Was it Sociedad? No, yes, yeah, Sociedad. Yeah, Sociedad. Sociedad. Yeah, so with the B team are there, I, I know it's because some person, someone told me the other day, oh, you know, but he got them promoted. I was like, well, yeah, yeah, but if you actually look, he also got them relegated the next season. I'm not saying it's his fault. It's obviously any promoted team, it's difficult to stay up. But yeah, I wouldn't say B team experience is kind of a massive, I mean, you could argue that, you know, Mason was manager of, uh, I think it was under 19s at one point. He was kind of doing this middle thing in UEFA Youth League. Um but he'll say he's had six years or so coaching experience anyway. So, yeah, Alonso looks to be out of the picture. Like I say, I'm not devastated with that because I think it would have been a very big job. I was talking to Tom Huddleston the other day after the brilliant charity match that um, Steve Jukes put on with all the old, um, I say old, not even that old players, players in their 30s coming back to play for Spurs. Um, and Tom Huddleston told me, uh, he said, it's a massive, massive job he thinks it's almost too big a job for anyone for their first role, what's got to be done at Spurs. And I think I'm kind of there with him. I think with Mason, you could maybe argue, and I don't think, unfortunately, I don't think the fan base at this point would accept Mason, but I could kind of just about understand Mason because of his knowledge of the club. I think he make that makes him slightly different to other inexperienced candidates. But yeah, of the rest, look, said it earlier and I'll say it again slot is one that really interests me uh, a Tottenham slot spur would not be the worst thing in the world I don't think um, <laughs> Guest is shaking his head at that um, there's this thing I saw the other day it was either Slotnam Hotspur or Tottenham slot spur you've got to decide between I, I, I prefer Tottenham slot spur myself um, and also you could repurpose all of the Martin Joel uh, chance for him as well but um, yeah I've obviously had to do quite a lot of reading on various candidates and he's the one for me everything I read about screams right for this job he's a guy that's gone into previous clubs and had to do rebuilds uh, for one reason or another you know at Feyenoord he kind of lost a lot of his good players had to rebuild um, and that's very much what Spurs need right now the type of football he plays is fantastic um sounds like I'm name dropping, but I'm not. It's just purely because I got to interview a lot of these players after the game. Um, and Michelle Vorm on Sunday asked him, obviously being a Dutchman, about slot. And he was absolutely kind of full of praise for him. And he said the, 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 like, the players will just run through walls for him. He's just, he says things and they happen. Um, he's got this real, he's very clever, very good at communicating, very clear communicator, which is like a massive thing, obviously, with young players. And also that he plays with a lot of young players in his team. His average age of his teams are, you know, around 24. It all feels very Poch-like. I think even his formation is often the 4-2-3-1, which is obviously was Poch-favoured one. Um, I like the idea of him. I did see, weirdly, there was this, I don't know if you've seen this, this clip doing rounds of the dressing room um, after a final game. And I saw people kind of using it against him, saying, oh, this guy's got no charisma. I wouldn't want him to be doing the team talks. But I think people have kind of misunderstood what it was. It wasn't a team talk. 
It wasn't a talking to them at half time before a game or anything. It was talking to them after they'd won a match. And he was just saying to them how proud he was of them and how, you know, they got they could have a day off, I think it was. And he was just talking very calmly. He was just explaining to them how good players they were. And it very much goes back to what I was saying about how he's such a clear communicator and everyone in that room was just listening intently to what he said. It wasn't a, a rousing, passionate thing because he didn't need to be. It was after a game. <laughs> it was finished. I really didn't understand that. I was looking at the comments thinking after a match. Um, you know, I'd like to see what he's like during a match and, and uh, before a match and all this sort of stuff. But then th we've heard all this before. This was what was said about Ten Hag. It's exactly what was said. I remember in 2021, people said, oh, you know, he hasn't got the character. He's not interesting enough. People think he's boring. He's done a very good job at United so far and turning around another team that was in a mess. And, you know, they've won a cup already this season. So, yeah, I, I don't... I do think that some people want certain managers... And then, unfortunately, they run down other ones. I think that's just a natural thing. I think we've all got that about us. Uh, that sometimes, maybe there's certain things we want, and other things don't fit the uh, the jigsaw, as it were. But no, I like the idea of slot. Um, I think he's going to be um, very, very good wherever he goes next. He's still learning. Um, he's still quite young. Was he forty-one, something like that? Early forties, yeah, I think. Yeah, relatively for a manager, he's pretty young. Uh, but he's got good experience. You know, he went into RZ, did very well there. Um, as you know, you were telling me just off air, and we were saying that had it not been for the pandemic, you know, they potentially could have really won that league, but it all got stopped. Um, and then obviously what he's done with final this season, playing such a lovely brand of football as well. And it's, again, sorry to go back to the Pochettino comparisons, but it's it's high energy. It's pressing high up the pitch. It's trying to get that ball very quickly through the players, playing nice football. And funnily enough, he said something along the lines of, I saw a quote, it was along the lines of, you know, it's not always about... Uh, Something like it's the opposite of what we'd kind of come to want to hear, I guess. It was like, it's not only about the result, it's about the way you get there. It's essentially meaning something like that. Um, and obviously, we've had a few managers recently that where it was all about the result and nothing else. Um, and it was quite refreshing to hear someone kind of say, no, 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 it's about how you get there as well. You know, you've got to be remembered for what you've done. Um, so, yeah, it, honestly, it ticks a lot of boxes. Um who knows? You know, it might be that we get to Friday night and we get a... <laughs> um, Arna Slot is not in consideration for the role. Um, but for me, yeah, I'd be... If you lose Nagelsmann and Slot from that list, I'd be very, very uh, disappointed. Let's put it that way. I mean, what do you make of Slot? Uh, I was reading up on him, but yesterday I did a couple of pieces and, yeah, very impressive what he's done. Uh, he's had Alkmaar and then Feyenoord uh, at the moment as you were saying he's only really coming to the coaching capacity in the past few years I think he was an assistant uh, as well and then uh, Camber as well before going to AZ and becoming their manager in 2019 and I think AZ finished fourth it might have been before he uh, took on the role and then he he had them in second in the league at the time of COVID, start of March, they'd just beaten Ajax 2-0 away. And this is the Ajax team who had reached the Champions League semi-final against Tottenham, uh, probably, you know, 10 months early. And 
They've done the double over Ajax to a level on points with them in the Eredivisie and then the season was obviously stopped for COVID. Then a month later it was cancelled and you're thinking, well, if it wasn't cancelled, they could have really upset the odds and he could have led them to the title uh, that year, but that wasn't to be the case. The job he did uh, alerted Feyenoord. Uh, it sounds like there were talks between Slot and Feyenoord uh, at the back end of that year that led to his departure from AZ and then when he took over at Feyenoord I think it was third place he led them to last year in the Conference League semi-final or the final sorry against Roma where Jose Mourinho uh, won in the final and then given the success and how well they've done in Europe it was no surprise to see their squad was just completely decimated. Everyone was going in for the top players. Uh, Luis Sinistera went to Leeds in a big money move. Tyrell Molassia went to Manchester United. Uh, I think one of the midfielders went to Benfica. Reese Nelson returned to Arsenal on loan. Sinesi, the defender, went to Bournemouth. And then the top four scorers, who were all in double figures, they, they went elsewhere as well. So at a time when, you know a club could have quite easily gone backwards. You know, remarkably, he managed to take fine odds forward uh, as a club and they've won the title this season. Uh, Europa League quarterfinal, Jose Mourinho once again got the better of them. So they've made big strides, some savvy transfer business. He's clearly had to rebuild uh, Feyenoord this summer. What will be the case at Tottenham uh, as well uh, over the coming months going into next season? And he's shown that he will, you know, he's not afraid to bring players in from, you know, smaller clubs and maybe the division below. And I think he's made a couple of them into international footballers. Uh, he's not afraid to give youth a chance. I think it's Hartman who's playing at left back. He's come through the academy. He's taken Molassi's place in the team. Uh, so, yeah, he's done a really, really uh, good job. And I think... It's no surprise to see him being linked with the Tottenham job. He was linked with the Leeds job in February when Jesse Marsh went, uh, but he turned them down. So I think it's probably only a matter of time before he makes that step up to the Premier League. And it could well be this year if uh, Daniel Levy and Tottenham want him to be Antonio Conte's successor. Yeah, and what's quite interesting is, is a lot of talk from the Netherlands as well, is that if he does... Uh, comes to Spurs or wherever he goes, there's a high likelihood that he'll try to take Urkan Koku with him. Um, if you're not aware who he is, he's um, he's a final captain, uh, Turkish player. Um, I think he started off as more of a number 10 type, almost like a striker. And uh, I think uh, Slot transformed him back into a midfielder where he's had like a terrific season this season. Um and yeah, I wonder if there's any club that needs a creative um, attacking midfielder. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, he's only he's only 22, a uh, young lad as well. Um, and yeah, he, he's been playing straight in the middle of that midfield, been a major kind of cog really in, in what they've done this season. I was trying to get his stats up so I could uh, get them up. Here we go. So he's scored this season 12 goals from midfield and five assists as well across uh, his 44 matches. Um, yeah. And also, you know, a leader. Spurs could always do with new leaders. So especially a 22-year-old wearing the captain's armband, you know he's obviously got something about him. 
So I don't know what kind of price you're looking at. I mean, transfer market, which is difficult to say. They've got him kind of as their rate, their valuation would be about 30 million euros. But um, yeah, that might be right. For, for a Dutch club as well, they don't normally ask astronomical figures um, for unless it's a player that is an absolute world sensation, like an Anthony type that everyone's going on about. Um, but yeah, that, that would be... I always think that's a good thing. I always think if you can get a manager in, again, we're massively leaping ahead of ourselves and saying slot was going to get it but if if a manager comes in i always do think it's good to give them one of their favorites as it were someone that instantly understands their tactics and kind of spread that across the team as well set the example as it were but uh yeah i like the idea of slot i, I do for me i'd say he stands out probably above the rest of the field now for me uh i think nagelsman obviously was the one that ticked all the boxes but i think slot is is a very, I, th- I I actually generally think the majority of the fan base would get behind him as well, especially if they did a bit of reading on him um, and understood kind of what he's going to be or hope to be. Um, I definitely think he'd be, there's a few candidates in those names you read out that I think people would be like, what kind of thing? <laughs> and it would be very difficult for them from the off. Uh, whereas Slot, I, I don't see Slot as like a Nuno type. I see him as someone that I think a lot of people could get behind. And I think the football they'd get served up would be very nice as well. Um, and it was interesting. Again, going back to that Tom Huddleston interview, and I'm going to ask your opinion on this. Tom Huddleston said, whoever comes in, regardless of results, needs 18 months to 24 months, so two years, to be able to rebuild this side. Do you think, A, the board would give anyone that time? B, the fans would give anyone that time? No, it's uh, football. It's results-based business, isn't it, at the end of the day? I just can't imagine Daniel Levy, uh, when Nuno was going through that really bad run of results, go, oh, it's all right, Nuno, we'll give you an extra 18 months, see how it goes. I mean, where would Tottenham be in the league table now if it had carried on? Uh, all right, I'll give you a hypothetical. They would have finished sixth next season, but they'd play some really nice football and you could see where it was going, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The end of the day. Would the fans take that, though? And would Daniel Levy take that? It's not top four. I think if it's better football, then yeah. Uh, Because obviously last season with Antonio Conte at the helm, Maybe not the best of football, but you got them in the top four this season. Something have been in the top four for the majority of the season and just fell away in 2023 after a dire run of results. So you just got to wait up. What do you want? To finish high up in the league, Champions League, or finish a bit low and the football's better? Very rare you can have it both ways, unless obviously you got Pep Guardiola at the helm uh, as well. Uh, yeah, I. It's a huge, huge job, whoever's coming in this summer. Uh, I've got so much work to do. It's, it's a complete rebuild, uh, really. But it's like we're saying this every every summer at the moment. There's just so much to do. Obviously, new manager, new manager and director of football, new signings. Yeah, it's... <laughs> For a new man to come in and have so much to do, you can't give him a matter of months and expect miracles. It doesn't happen like that. Look what happened with Poch. He could have quite easily uh, departed Tottenham 
a few months into his tenure if they didn't win that game at Aston Villa when Kane scored that deflected free kick. Uh, yeah, in an ideal world, you've got to give managers time to, you know, stamp their own mark on the team and help take them forward. But at the end of the day, it's a results-based business. And if they're not getting the results, then that might force the chairman into a, a decision. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking just down those list of other names. It's like Brendan Rodgers, I'd be very surprised at. I think I think that's one that would have happened in the past if it was meant to happen. I, I don't think timing-wise that it's one that's likely to happen at this point in time. Thomas Frank. I like Thomas Frank. Um, I, 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 it's a difficult one. I, I really think what he's done at Brentford is really interesting. It's done in a very certain way, isn't it? They like their kind of very much stats based, almost money ball side of things. They've done. I think it is it's actually money ball. The background. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't. Be, I wouldn't be totally against Thomas Frank. Um, the football probably isn't quite that type of football but it's still not bad I wouldn't say it's anywhere near bad football whatsoever Potter yeah Potter I think unfortunately the whole hiring former Chelsea managers to hire one that's just failed it's just the aesthetics I know they would have hired him without hesitation in 2021 if he'd wanted to but I just feel right now it's not a great look um, Postacoglio I know a certain person that really is pushing their claims and is uh, the head of their fan club um, I still, for me, think he's a bit inexperienced. Um, it's a difficult one because, yeah, you could quite rightly argue maybe, well, what's the difference between the Scottish League and the Dutch League? I understand that. Um, although I guess you could say um, with what Slot's done in European football, um, he's probably got more experience in that regard. Um, but yeah, Postacoglu, look, I hear, I, I must admit, I haven't seen too much of Celtic this season, but I, I hear good things about their football, but it's, it's always tempered with the fact of, well, Celtic are going to blast lots of goals past most teams in Scottish football. It's kind of expected. Um, I was trying to think of ones who have succeeded coming from Scottish League. Rogers probably is the main one, isn't he? In, in recent years, obviously, Gerard and, and Lennon and people like that have not particularly travelled that well afterwards. Sir Alex um, Ferguson. Yeah, well, Sir <laughs> Alex Ferguson did all right. That That's a little way back. Um, but yes, I absolutely take that. Um, that's, that's a good answer. That's a really good answer. Um, but yeah, to be fair, weren't Aberdeen European uh, Cup winners as well? Yeah. Or, yeah uh, one of the European Cups. I can't remember what it was now. Um so, yes, they had a decent pedigree already. Um, who else you got on there? That's kind of it. I mean, obviously, Deserby. It's Amarim as well. Deserby, in I don't. Yeah. I wouldn't leave Brighton right now in a million years because of what he's doing now. I mean, just watching them against Arsenal absolutely destroyed them. Um, yeah, I think you'd be mad to leave that project right now. Um, don't get me wrong. I'd love to see his brand of football at Spurs. Or I do think as a character behind the scenes, it might be a little bit of a, another Conte tricky customer. That might not be a bad thing. But also, I think kind of there's this feeling now that because it's a funny way we paint things in, in football especially, I think there's almost this feeling like, oh, Slot's going to be a yes man. It's like, well, where's that come from? <laughs> Did anyone know him? It's just like because he's would be excited about the job, it's almost like, oh, he'd be a yes man. 
Whereas if it's someone you have to convince to take the job, they're not. I mean, it's, I just, I don't. It's almost like you have to try and hire someone that might not really want the job just so they might not say yes to everything. I think you just need to get the person who's very good for the job, who's right for the job. Um, and look, there's going to be a very new structure within Tottenham. Um, obviously, how much say Daniel Levy will still have over it is, is the thing that most people will will debate and discuss. But it's going to be a very new look Tottenham uh, come, what, a month or two's time. So it's it's a fresh start for a lot of people within that club. Um, and it's the one thing I'm clinging to is actually being quite exciting is that we're going to have a lot of new faces, not of new ideas and philosophies and, and tactics and things to talk about. Yeah, I, I know, obviously, in terms of the bookies, I think Rogers second favourite. I think it might be same odds as Thomas Frank. I know the appointment of Rogers probably won't go down well with Tottenham fans, but I think he'd be a good fit. I think he'd fit. I think he'd Tottenham. be interested in the job. Yeah. Oh, I think he would. Of course he would. Uh, he'd done a really, really good job at Leicester. I know, obviously, they look like the dead certs now have to go down. Uh, to the championship they've had a, a nightmare year but he's had them on the cusp of Champions League two successive seasons in all honesty they probably really should have finished in the top four so they missed out on the final day one of those obviously coming against Tottenham when Ryan Mason uh, was in charge two years ago led them to an FA Cup victory against Chelsea uh, two years ago he's had them playing in the Europa League uh, because they missed out on the Champions League uh, I think this summer uh, certainly wouldn't help at all with a lack of finances and the transfer deals. They just barely did any. And, you know, that's completely backfired on Leicester and they do look like they're going to go down. Uh, and I think probably if it was Rogers, people would be pointing to this season with Leicester. But on the whole, I think he's done a good job at Leicester. Did a good job at Celtic. Almost won the league with Liverpool. Uh, probably should have won the league with Liverpool. I think he's, I think he fits what Tottenham are looking for. Uh, but whether they do go for him or not, I don't know. Uh, but I think I'm with you. I think Slot's certainly someone who could do a good job. There's some good names on there. It's just down to Daniel Levy now to find the best man uh, to help the club go forward. Yeah, and he's proved he's been excellent at that in the past. <laughs> Sorry, that was very facetious. I still go back to this. The best appointment they made was the guy that was second choice. That was Pochettino. Yeah. Back in 2014. Um, but hey, there you go. Right, as we're now at the halfway point of the podcast, Ali, do you want to let everyone know about the benefits of using NordVPN? Yeah, if you're not aware, the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world and that means there's no buffering, no lagging and you can stream your favourite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. It's something I've used many, many times over the years just to be able to watch the shows and things we pay for at home when you're abroad. Uh, for some reason pesky kind of borders and things change what you are allowed to, or you can access on your phone whereas with a vpn it just sets your phone to being at home so you can watch those things that you're already paying for the services you get and also security wise it's excellent because when you um, hook up to a public wi-fi 
it locks down everything within your device that you're using. So these uh, nasty cyber thief types can't get in there and, and take your stuff. It's a very safe, secure service. Um, and not only that, but the outlay on a NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. And that's because you can purchase streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. So let's say you could book flights from other countries, which would be cheaper too, or it could be cheaper. And that means you're paying out for Nord, but you're actually saving money overall. There's a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash goldguest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Right, let's go from one search to another, and we'll move on to the, the hunt for a new managing director of football. Ali, you were reporting on this earlier in the week. What's the latest? Yeah, it's an interesting one, this one, because that one, it feels like that one's starting to move as well. Um, they're almost kind of doing these, what well, they are, simultaneously. The plan is to try to get two like-minded people that will work well together. In an ideal world, um, you get the director of football first and they pick the manager. But I do wonder whether... They just have these nightmare flashbacks to what Paratici did and, and came in and essentially ripped up everything they'd done. The process took a lot longer, took a lot of farcical turns, and they ended up with Nuno at the end of it. So I just wonder whether they just think, right, well, let's just do this ourselves, but pick two people that will gel nicely together and kind of hire them based on each other's preference for each other, I guess. Um, so, yeah, there's a couple of names floating about. I still... The impression I get is that the leading candidate is someone that we're not aware of yet. That's what I keep uh, hearing. So I've seen, uh, I know Tiago Pinto is someone that has been of interest, uh, the Roma uh, director of football. What I'm, um, well, actually, I think his, his title is general manager, I think, at, at Roma. From what I understand, he would be technically a close fit to replacing Paratici. Um, he is someone who, uh, the word I was used was big operator, um, which is similar to Paratici. Is that kind of very much front of house? Yes, you know his face. He's the kind of guy that is involved in the big deals. So essentially, in that, he's a more natural replacement. My, I get the impression at this moment in time that he isn't a leading candidate, and I do wonder. And this is absolutely not to say that he's in any way linked to anything that's taking place. But I do wonder whether Spurs get a bit of cold feet with what's happening in Portugal at the moment, with some of the top clubs being investigated for various things uh, about transfers. And I do wonder whether, obviously, if you're not aware, now he's at Roma, but he used to be at Benfica. I just wonder whether any noise around anything that might be happening at a club and a director of football, Spurs might go, no, 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 and just like shy away from that. And again, I must stress, that's not to say he's got any involvement. I have no idea of the complexities or intricacies of anything to do with it. But I just wonder whether the noise after what happened with Paratici might make people uh, or Spurs look in another direction. The other one, we know that there's um, been some consideration over, although from what I understand, no talks have taken place yet, were uh, Tim Staten. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right or not, who used to be at Bayer Leverkusen. Now, he's very much is a different type to uh, Pinto in that he's more back of house, um, very much more in his, I guess, infancy in being that kind of figure. Um, so 
yeah, there's a from what certain people that I've spoken to have said this would be a big leap for him. So those are the two kind of names I know have come into consideration. But like I say, I keep hearing that there's someone else. The leading candidate is currently not one of those two. And it's someone that we're as of yet, the name hasn't been linked yet. Um, I know uh, Lee Dykes, the, uh, the Brentford technical director, is not currently in consideration from what I understand. The same goes for Johan Spores. Who's technically he's got this like kind of overriding role for this group called Seven 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 Partners, and I think he works on recruitment for like a range of clubs across the world. I think maybe Genoa is one of them. I think I remember. Um, so apparently those two are not currently in consideration, from what I understand. Um, so yeah, we, we kind of obviously we're going to continue to dig to see if we can find out who this uh, this mystery person is. Um, yeah, I'm intrigued to see because there's a lot of good candidates out there right now the one that people obviously keep suggesting to me like could he be is that uh, Michael Edwards who, who was at Liverpool obviously very well thought of he was actually was at Spurs I think he was an analyst at Spurs I'm not entirely sure of the relationship between him and Spurs um, whether that's strong enough for him to want to come back or not I don't know um, it would be someone that you'd think if you're Spurs and doing your due diligence, that he has been one of the better candidates out there in recent years, but whether that's something he would want to do and come back to Tottenham or they would want to do that. Like I said, I don't know the relationship between him and Spurs um, anymore. But it's again, it's a bit like the, um, the head coach situation. There's quite a few good options out there. It's one of those where as long as you're kind of wise about it, you, uh, I know that's a big ask of some of the things Tottenham do in recent years. You should pick a good person. Um, and obviously they're going to work under Scott Munn, the chief football officer. I guess it's kind of recreating what you, you see at City with, um, is it Tixie Bergestan? Bergestan? I've never known how you pronounce it properly. Coming in underneath the structure they've got there. And I guess this would be a similar thing. And obviously Scott Munn's very used to that City group structure. Um, so, yeah, we await to see what comes next. Um, and then there's a big job on their hands because they've got to come in and rebuild. They've got a a few players that probably will want to head out the door. I mean, we were speaking about this the other day. The amount of players that could leave this summer is huge because if you look at eight of the 11 players out on loan are all players that potentially could leave. Um, didn't have a future. Obviously, that can change with a new head coach. And um, But there's lo- a lot of them. There's a lot of people, I'd say, even just in the current first-team squad that, are, that have remained this season that you think maybe it's time to move on for some of them. This could be the biggest exodus at Spurs we've seen in a long, long time. But that's a huge overhaul. That really, really is. And it's... It's very rare that a club kind of guts itself like that and makes so many changes because exactly like we just said, you would need a lot of time to put in place to make that to, uh, work with a lot of new faces. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. What have you made of the whole search for the director of football? Uh, I think there's some good names out there. I think Pinto would be interesting from Roma, obviously coming from Benfica and Benfica known to be really good at, you know, bringing plays in from usually South America uh, for small fees and then selling them on, 
you know, for big, big money. We've seen a number of players, you know, like Angel Di Maria, Enzo Fernandez is the most recent example, who's gone on for an obscene amount of money uh, to, to Chelsea. So, yeah, there's some good names out there. Uh, Edwards is an, another interesting one. So he was always lauded for, you know, the transfer business uh, Liverpool had done and basically transformed uh, Liverpool, really, because... You know, usually a top four club, never really in title contention. And then, you know, it's just been them and City contesting for the title up until uh, this season. Just for Tottenham, he just needs to be the best man uh, for the job and someone who can work with the new head coach. Uh, with Paratici, obviously, he's gone. But in terms of the players he brought to the club I think he made some good signings and you know some signings who can work well for the new manager going forward we've not seen the best of Eves Basuma and Richarlison uh, this season I think they will basically be like new signings next season if they are you know part of the new manager's plans and given a role in the team uh, formations the other thing I know I know that's massive it's such uh, a massive thing because now because of Antonio Conte's, you know, wish to play with wing-backs. Tottenham side four wing-backs uh, last summer. <laughs> and potentially the, the new manager can come in and not even play with wing-backs. And I did a piece on this yesterday. In terms of uh, even Perisic, it just moved forward. He's another option, right or left wing. But then you've got Jed Spence. Can he adapt to being a right-back? Pedro Porro struggled defensively so far. Uh, starting as a right back in Newcastle just completely backfired. Uh, who else we got on the left? Destiny Doggy coming. Yes, yes. Can he operate as a left back? <laughs> so yeah. it's just so much. I mean, he has played primarily as a wing back through Denise in the last couple of seasons. So yeah, I mean, you'd hope he's young enough to learn. Same with Poro. Yeah, <clears throat> and adapt. But um, yeah, you got Sessegnon as well there. Ben Davies, there's so many <laughs> options down those sides. Regulon to come back as well. Yeah, I mean, Regulon could be the perfect player to play at left-back if that's what Tottenham have gone to go with. Uh, we've seen with Emerson Royale over the past 18 months, you know, transitioning from being the right-back throughout your whole career to being the right-wing-back. You know, it's not as easy as it seems because he struggled with his play in the final third. So for it to go the other way, it's, it's not simple. Uh, so yeah, it's just is Rigolon's defending strong enough though? So he's what we're we going with Ben Davis there, a left back. I wonder whether uh, it's a difficult one. If I, personally, I know people lump Davies in with other players. For me. I think you keep him as part of your squad because of his versatility to be able to play in so many different positions and the fact that he just gives you everything. Yeah. Would he be first choice left back? I don't know. I wonder whether they'd... It's difficult because the, there's a part of me that thinks, oh, they'd look to bring in another one. But if you've got Destiny Doggy coming in, you can't really look to bring in another left back. I think maybe you go with the experience of Davies with the youth of Doggy and then you've got a decision to make on Ryan Sessegnon, I guess. And, and unfortunately for Ryan Sessegnon, it, it's all about the injuries. It's just never been, you know, it's his birthday today, his 23rd birthday, and they tweeted it out. And I just, I don't know why. 
it was like a morbid curiosity to look at the replies and I just wish I hadn't. It was so unpleasant, so many of them. Um, and unfortunately, you often get that, especially with injured players. It's the frustration that they haven't been able to serve your club, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know what happens with Ryan Session. It almost feels like maybe he needs to do what he did at Hoffenheim again, is, is have another loan somewhere and make sure he's playing every week. But when you're this far into your contract, is it worth it anymore? It, it's... There's a lot of big decisions to make this summer. There's so many for so many different players. Um, and this is why I'm fascinated to see what comes next because so I know Spurs are never boring and predictable because there's always some kind of chaos going on there. But actually this summer, I don't think we can predict a lot of the things that are going to happen. And it's actually quite an interesting way for a change rather than the normal carnage. Um, and yeah, every position you've just spoken about, but further up the pitch as well. I'm intrigued to see what they do with the future of a lot of those players. There's a lot of good players already at Tottenham and a new man manager could get a tune out of them. I don't think it's yeah. like a major, major overhaul. These are already a lot of good players, but there's certainly some signings that need to be made. There's some players that need to move on for the sake of the career. Are you saying they- the Tongi Renaissance is coming? I'm not saying that. What I'm going to say about Tongi <laughs> and Giovanni Lacelso and Ryan Sessignon, they will be going into the fifth season as Tottenham players this summer. Are you saying fifth time lucky? No. How can you go into a fifth season thinking, yeah, this is going to be the year. He's all going to work out. Because then a year down like six years and they might not have made an impact at all at Tottenham. So some big decisions have to be made. But because... And Don Belli and Lacelso weren't part of Conte's plans. Doesn't necessarily mean they're not going to be part of the new manager's plans. They could be key member in the team. So title winning Tongi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh so as well as needing new signings, there's just so many big calls that need to be made over the Tottenham team to help them move forward. It's it's such a huge job for whoever comes in. It's huge. And the same for the managing director of football. Like you were saying with Huddleston, you need what he was saying. They need a good 18 months to two years just to try and sort things out. And the trouble, my fear as well with attacking football is that occasionally you get a hammering. It goes the other way because you're you're naturally more open than a team like a, a Conte or Mourinho's team. So there's more likely you're going to get a hammering. And it's those hammerings that people will look at and, and analyse and show, what, oh, you know, they're not right and all that. I mean, some of the early potch, you know, defeats were some heavy ones as well. And it's like, I just feel like, yeah, it needs someone to almost say to the fans, I'm sorry, I know you're so frustrated. I know you've had, you know, 20, 30 years without silverware. And I know we're asking so much from you to be patient again. You've got, we've got nothing. We've got no credit in the bank to ask you to be patient whatsoever. But it just feels like almost someone should come out and say, but if you give this guy time, whoever it may be, we'll get somewhere. We will, but they need time. But also, likewise, the board need to be told that as well. It's like, you know, you can't... God, how many managers have we had since Potter? Is it five? Yeah, it's five if you count the two acting managers as well. Five managers in four years is absolutely pathetic. (laughs) It's absolutely pathetic. So, yeah, 
fans and board would have to finally be in sync and and say, right, whoever this is, okay, we're going to have a few tough times. We're going to have a few bad results. We're going to go out of cup competitions and people are going to be annoyed about it at times. But if it's building something and you can actually see the blueprint of what's trying to be put in there, I mean, just on a on another basis, like even Ryan Mason, from what I understand, and this is not me pushing him for the job, but from what I understand is even in these few weeks, behind the scenes, he's made huge differences at Spurs. Everyone I talk to has said he's changed the philosophy. He's made a lot of the departments feel close together. He's made the academy feel like they're part of the first team set up again. And that's kind of what it needs, again, because people get very annoyed when you say stuff like this. It's like, you're pushing Ryan Mason. I'm not. What I'm saying is whoever comes in has to do that. They have to make the, the club feel like one again, and I'm including the fans in that as well. They need to kind of connect all of everyone with all the, the strings or whatever you're, a spider web of stuff, um, because it's been a fractured football club. It has been. Um, it's been a football club that's turned on itself so many times, um, I don't think I've ever seen such distance between the fans and the club, to be honest, uh, for a long time. Um, and that's what they need. They need a person in the head coach who's going to be the public face of it, but they also need to appoint the right director of football with a bit of experience and and um, work ethic, I guess, to be able to to bring it all together with them and, and help them visualise, uh, sorry, help them make a reality of what they're visualizing the head coach and uh that, that's like i say that's the bit that does actually excite me i'm looking forward to this summer to writing about different things <laughs> i'm so sick of writing about mess and chaos and carnage um i'd like some really interesting exciting stuff to write about and talk about and i'm sure you're the same yeah i think whoever comes in just needs to give the fans a bit of hope and belief that you know the better days are coming uh i think yeah of course there'll be ups and downs along the way it's very rare you're gonna have a, a new manager come in and it's just you know success after success straight away and you're winning every game and winning trophies there's gonna be ups and downs and then fabio paratici said when he came into the club that you need a plan and you know don't deviate away from the plan even though you know there may be some tough times you've just got to keep with the plan and persist with it and i think that's what tottenham have to do the new manager just has to come in and you know give fans a bit of belief again so yeah let's wait and see what happens this summer right we'll reflect quickly on last saturday's two on defeat at aston villa before we look ahead to this weekend's home clash against brentford uh, we were both in the Midlands on Saturday for Villa's 2-1 win. Huge, huge game for both clubs. Uh, we both find a Europa League finish and it was Villa who came out on top, courtesy of goals from Jacob Ramsey and Douglas Louise. Harry Kane scored a last-minute penalty for Tottenham and that just proved to be scant consolation in the end. In the recent Away games against Newcastle and Liverpool. Spurs have conceded so early in the contest then that once again, once again did it at Villa Park, eight minutes on the clock when uh, Jacob Ramsey scored. It's unfortunately becoming a bit of a habit now. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this is it. It's like just shooting themselves in the foot before they even get into like with it, into a game properly. Um God, it feels like a lifetime ago, that match. <laughs> it's so weird. It feels like so, so long ago. 
Um, it's just been this horrible thing this season where make a bit of noise, Tottenham will crumble. And unfortunately, it just happened again. You know, I wouldn't say they absolutely fell apart this time, but certainly had Villa had a bit more about them in that first half, they probably, you know, they could have. Um, yeah, it's it, it was a strange game. The atmosphere, like I say, and it's not to say that the away fans weren't supporting the team because, you know, once they'd done their Levy chants, which were frequent and throughout the, the game, they were also chanting the players on, supporting them. And to be fair, you could probably hear them over the home fans quite a lot. Um, but it just, there was just something about the game. It didn't feel right. It didn't feel um, the players kind of, how do I put this? The kind of a lot of the attacking fluency that we'd seen in those first two games, but maybe lost slightly with the Palace game. It, it continued, I suppose it was more like the Palace thread um, th- uh, theme. It was more like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at the stat now with the away games, it's it's disgraceful. Um, haven't won outside London since October. You know, their last, uh, sorry, in the Premier League, their last away game they won was, at, I think it was Fulham, wasn't it, yeah. in January? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but to have not won outside London since October, it's like, that's such a weak mentality. That's such a poor mentality. That's just awful. Um, and, you know, it's something that need to, whoever comes in needs to fix. And whether that is a gutting of some of the players, it could be, you know. It's difficult because some of these players that are getting criticised also under Poch, not in the last 18 months or so, but before that, had a fantastic away record. They were actually were really strong on the road. They had one of the best records. But I guess the, the other line to it is, should you still be having players that are here from that long ago? I don't know. It's it's a really difficult one. Um, I do feel for Ryan Mason. I feel massively for him because I feel like he's going to be a really excellent young coach. But I feel like he's been thrown into this situation, everything happening around him. Um, and he's trying to make things work in a really yeah, bad atmosphere overall, I guess. I'm not saying just within the club. I'm just saying the whole kind of feelings towards the club and, and the ridicule I think the club's getting from a lot of sides as well for the decisions it's making. Um, yeah, and he said it himself. You know, He has barely had any time to change anything. You know, you count up the number of training sessions with fully uh, fit players, recovered players. Um, obviously, the first week was just a write-off, so he's really just had the two games since. Um, it, it's been difficult for him. Um, but the problem is, is fans want change now. And I think they see him as an inside man. He's almost like guilty by association with like, I guess, Daniel Levy, the board, previous regimes. But actually, his experience has been excellent when you look at it. You know, people talk about, oh, Arteta learned under Guardiola, all of this. And I get that because, you know, watching City last night, I think, that's I know it's cost a lot of money to put that team together, but that's the kind of football that I think everyone wants to watch their team playing. But, you know, um, Mason's had a really good kind of education as well, obviously under Mourinho, sorry, Mourinho, Pochettino to begin with, but then also slightly more from afar watching what Mourinho was doing and then far closer up watching Conte was doing uh, and being involved in the training sessions as well. He's had a very good rounded uh, education from very different managers, three very different managers. So 
I think the thing for him now is probably is to head off and this summer and, and, and get a job somewhere, obviously interview for, for whatever comes out. I, I'd think, I don't know, maybe a, a championship team, maybe look at what Vincent company's done, maybe do something like that and do a good job, make yourself kind of just um, impossible to ignore really with what you do. Because I do think despite the fact he's only 31, he, he's got that ton of experience in coaching behind him um, at various levels. And, uh, yeah, it's just unfortunate for him that we're at a time where the fan base is furious at Spurs over Nagelsmann. They're furious at Spurs over Pochettino, even more so when they gets announced within the coming days. Um, and unfortunately, Mason, it's just the wrong time. Had Spurs been doing okay and the manager had left, been plucked by another club, let's say, and Mason was sitting there ready, I think a lot of people would be fine. But the fact that Spurs are in a bit of a mess right now and people want to change. It's just unfortunate. It's just not going to happen for him. He has been hampered by that squad, though. You know, I look at that midfield, and, you know, you and I have said this before, that kind of, I feel like Hoibier and Skip, for example, should be an either-or. They should be a replacement for each other, not really playing week in, week out alongside each other. Benton is such a massive miss. I think we're still seeing that in every game right now. And I'd be intrigued to see what happens with Basuma. He got half an hour, and he was probably one of the brightest things about that match, is whether after another week of fitness work, is he fit enough to start on Saturday? I mean, I don't know what, what you think, but I, I think for me, you need that bit of difference. Uh, presumably, it would be Basuma and, and Hoybier if you were able to do that. Yeah, well, he was speaking to Spurs play after the game and basically said, you know, he's fit and ready if called upon. And it's only given 30 minutes at Villa Park, but he he did well. I think it was probably the rare bright spot for on what was a dismal day uh, for Tottenham. He looks more like the Basuma of Brighton. Uh, struggled at Tottenham, certainly not helped in terms of, you know, Antonio Conte's tactics. Uh, Conte made it clear, I think it was in September, that Basuma was struggling with the tactical aspects of the game. Looks a bit restricted uh, at times, but no, I thought he really uh, caught the eye when he came on. Uh, won a dubious free kick within a minute of coming on the pitch, but him and Kulisewski, you know, certainly made an impact on the game within a minute of uh, entering the fray and didn't look at his stats. I think he completed 30 of his 31 passes. I think like seven of those were into the final third as well. Uh, so the numbers were good. Uh, it certainly added some much needed energy into midfield. And, you know, if if he is fit enough to start a game, then I think I'd certainly uh, be giving him the nod against Brentford because something needs to change after that. I think someone else who I would, be looking at bringing into the teams uh, even Perisic as well he's played I think six minutes on the Mason in the past two games literally just came on for stoppage time uh, the other day against Villa putting a couple of crosses uh, I just can't understand why Mason probably just not turned to him especially in the Villa game he could have come on a lot earlier in the match with Tottenham just not making an impact in, in the final third because although we've not seen the best of him this season given those exceptional levels he produced on the weekly basis at Inter Milan when he was at Bayern Munich on loan as well. We've not seen that from him. Is it Richarlison's fault? <laughs> no. to, to bear with me on this, is, <laughs> is it because 
he's going for this 4-4-2 that becomes a 3-4-3. And he wants to get Richarlison in there because he's a fighter. Um, but in doing so, that means Son has to be on the left. So you can't drop Son, especially if Son's you know, finding a bit of form. He's got a couple of, of goals in recent weeks. So would it be that Perisic actually would fit the 4-4-2 quite nicely on the left? But you would have to drop Richarlison and you'd have Son and Kane up front. Yeah, maybe maybe that is. Maybe it is down to, you know, getting Richarlison, Son and Kane in the team. And if it is that, Perisic can count himself extremely unlucky because I think he has played well over the past month. Uh, starting with that Bournemouth game, I think that was probably one of his better games for the club. Manchester United, he played well in Liverpool uh, as well. So that's something Ryan Mason needs to figure out. I think there needs to be changes Rich Allison was poor. He, he just wasn't really in the game, was he, at Philippat? So he could be no. one who drops out. And you're thinking if he's dropping out, then surely it's Dane Kulaseski who comes in and then you can push Son upfield. Uh, yeah, I'd probably look at bringing Perisic back in to the team uh, if if there's a way to do so. But as I was saying, that's just down to Mason now to change things about. And I think he needs to, especially after the first half showing in the Midlands. But can Kulisevsky, would he have to replace Poro in that system? That's the issue with that as well, isn't it? Yeah. 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 There's a lot of decisions uh, that need to be made. Unless, can you play Kulisevsky on the left? I guess so. He technically is yeah. left-footed, isn't yeah. he? So maybe, um, like you say, I, I, I think with Perisic, the fact that he can play as the wing back or as the left wing on a four four two, you probably could play him there absolutely fine and get Son further up the pitch. Um, I mean, we haven't even touched on Harry Kane, who somehow scored, somehow got twenty seven Premier League goals. I have no idea how that's happened. Uh, well, I do because he's class, but I don't know how he's managed to do it in this uh, this team. Um, oh, I know what's going to ask you, Christian Romero. After we were praising him for against Palace. What did you think about him this time round? Uh, certainly not at the same level he, he was in the previous game, but I think that's been the case this season with Romero. just not being able to produce his best on a consistent basis. Yeah, you get the games where he's absolutely fantastic. He was against Palace, but then the previous game was against Liverpool, uh, where he was so, so poor, uh, making rash and reckless challenges, gave a penalty away. I think that's just what you're going to get with him. Uh, you just need a manager who can, you know, just get get the performance out of him on a consistent basis because we know what he can do. It's just getting it out of him. What's the issue? Yeah, certainly wasn't, uh, was far from his best at Villa Park. Yeah, he's so talented, but he's also so inconsistent. And that's what the next manager has to almost like tame him. It sounds like a ridiculous thing, but because, I mean, just you look at those goals. First goal, he wildly lunges into a tackle that leaves him out of position. And there's loads of space. I think Porro had to try and track back and wasn't able to get close enough to Ramsey. Then the free kick that Luis scored was from a, a late tackle from Romero. Uh, even he got the yellow card. He just kind of wandered out off to the left-hand side and lunged into a challenge. It just needs someone to come in. And, and, you know, he's had some of the, you know, in Conte, he's had one of the best kind of defensive coaches you can get. And he still hasn't quite taken some of it on board. So it does. It needs someone to come in. And 
I still think you build that defence around him. I think he needs probably more quality added alongside him. But certainly he is a player, he's a World Cup winning defender. He's got enough about him, enough talent to build it around him. But almost you need maybe an experienced head who he can respect alongside him who will just say to him, not now, not now, hold. Just hold your position now uh, and just teach him. Just I'll always go back to it. Um, but I always remember when Ledley King had uh, Norodin Nabet alongside him. He was only there, for, I think, for a season at Spurs. He was something like 36. Um in a reasonable season. He wasn't like the most amazing kind of defender that Spurs ever bought, but he just had that experience alongside Ledley King. And it helped Ledley King, I think, become an even better player, even despite his having one knee. Um, and you just sometimes you need these experienced heads alongside the other, the younger defender, just to help bring them along. Um, I just feel like, for one reason or another, Eric Dyer, and I've said this in the past, so it's nothing new, he's just not showing to be that experienced leader this season um and despite the fact he is almost 29 is he 28 29 i think yeah i think they need to bring in someone that is going to be a, a bit of a yeah a leader in that back line i think that's probably the best way to say it especially if if hugo Lloris does head off this summer um uh, you know you're really lacking in captains around the, the defensive end of the pitch so yeah i think that's another place the new director of football needs to make a big decision on you just mentioned uh, Larice. Obviously, it's the last home game on Saturday with Brentford making the trip across the capital. I think as ever, there'll be uh, a lap of honour around the pitch. Come the full-time whistle, the awards as well. I mean, it's possibly we're going to see players, you know, waving goodbye uh, to Tottenham Hotspur after serving them for a number of years. One of those will be Lucas Mora, uh, who won't be extending his contract at the club. Larice as well potentially could be a couple of others. So, yeah, we could be saying goodbye to Tottenham players this weekend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Everyone's going to be looking at Harry Kane. Of course they are. Everyone's going to be looking at Harry Kane and seeing how he reacts. Every every single gesture he makes is going to be overanalyzed by fans, the media, whatever you want to say. Um, but, yeah, I think my fear is if the game goes badly, it could go in a whole horrible different direction. We saw it against Aston Villa. Funnily enough, it was it was Mason's uh, penultimate game in charge, I think it was, before they went to Leicester. Um, and we saw that really awful, awkward, I don't even want to call it a lap of honour, lap of appreciation, I guess, is probably the best way to put it, when, oh my goodness, it was, it was so awkward and embarrassing and... and this could be worse. And the problem is, obviously, it's a double header. You've got the women's match afterwards as well. You know, you could end up with like a mass walkout of angry people. It would completely destroy the whole point of the um, the double header and, and getting the women out there for their big game as well. Um, but yeah, back to the players. Whatever people have made or said about Hugo, uh, sorry, actually, yeah, Hugo Lloris and Lucas Mora in recent months. I hope if it is to be the end for certainly Hugo, we'd expect it will be for Lucas. I hope they get a good send-off if this is the last potential chance. I mean, if Hugo Lloris, the expectation is that he probably will be heading off this summer. He's given a decade of his life to this football club, more than a decade, 11 years of, of service. And and yes, has been at times, he's been a bit erratic, but I also think he's saved Spurs in games far more times than he's let them down. 
He's getting them more points or rescued lost points than he has gifted them to the opposition. Um, yeah, I really hope people give him a good send-off just in case he does go. And with Lucas, look, whatever you make of Lucas, he gave Spurs fans one of their best nights in recent memory. He really did. Uh, that night in Amsterdam was one of the most incredible things. I'd add in the night at the Camp Nou, Barcelona as well, when he scored a really important equaliser there as well. Um, there's been some big performances against him. Goals against City, United. He's kind of turned up in a lot of big matches for Spurs. Uh, and, you know, and some people will say that he should have started that Champions League final as well. Um, so I hope he gets a good send-off. Um, I'm trying to think who else might potentially be heading off in that crowd. The others are all kind of just maybes, aren't they? More than we expect. Um, but yeah, I, I hope regardless of what happens against Brentford, there's at least um, amid the chanting against the chairman that's likely to happen, there's a little pause to uh, reflect and appreciate some of the good things that these players have done over the years that might be leaving as well. Yeah, uh, Clement Longley as well, obviously because of the loan deal. Yeah. So he could be another one uh, waving goodbye uh, to Tottenham this weekend. Interesting games. Uh, Brentford can still finish above Tottenham in the table. I think they're four points behind them now. Uh, so a win close to within one point. And then didn't Brentford have Man City on the last game. So now, obviously, Tottenham trying to target uh, a European finish. But if results go against them, I think they can finish as low as 10th still. So I think Fulham can finish on the same points. Yeah. Brentford, uh, Tony's out now. Isn't yeah. It? it was immediate effect, wasn't it? Yeah. So at least, it sounds awful to say, but at least that's one less threat for Spurs to worry about is Tony's uh, goal-scoring prowess, obviously. Um, yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah, Spurs could... They, they have to win these last two games because... I mean, God, they could plummet down that table, couldn't they? In the last couple of games, it it could be, you know, we've been kind of taking solace that Chelsea were the one thing that was worse than Spurs this season in London. But actually, they're going to be too far off Chelsea if they if they lost both games and the the results went against them. So, uh, yeah, just finish the season on a high. Like I say, you know, not only for the fans to give them something nice to finish the season with, but also Ryan Mason. I think if he does end up heading off to another job uh, this summer, I think for him to have something kind of tangible to take and show that he did in this second spell, as well as the four wins out of six in the last one, uh, would be good for him. Yeah, just be nice to write about something good and get a lot of fans sticking around for the women's match as well because they need that support as well. Yeah, then all Tottenham can do now is just win those two last games and... Fingers crossed, results will go their way and they will seal a European place. Big game at St. James's Park tonight. Obviously, Brighton one point ahead of Spurs in the table. They will have two games in hand. So, I mean, if they can repeat what they did against Arsenal last Sunday, what was a stunning result, then you'd certainly fancy them uh, for the Europa League place. But they've still got a tricky run in. You'd imagine they'll beat Saints at home, but then they've got Man City at home and then Villa away. Villa have got Liverpool and Brighton in the last two. So, yeah, then all Tottenham could do really is just win the games and hope things go their way just to try and end the season on a bit of a positive and, you know, the same for Ryan Mason as well. 
Right, I think we'll leave that there for today's episode of Golden Guest Talk Tottenham. So thank you as ever for listening in and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. 